episode 137, Tank Slapping Podcast. We got another video pod. We've been hinting at this for a long time. Our Jersey Jake Johnson video pod was sick. Back in the studio, we have a second edition of the video pod. His van broke down. I'm like, bud, let's do a pod. We're in due time, right? So, Braden Posh. Yeah, we're keeping the, the Jersey vibes flowing on the video pod. Yeah, that's right, Jake. <laughs> yes, uh, Jake was our video guy. He's from Jersey, and you're a Jersey boy. So, let's get it going, man. Uh, this podcast, as all of them, are, is presented by Mission Foods, a title sponsor of the show. I want to thank them for all the support. They keep us rolling. They do so much for the industry. If you can support Mission Foods, go check them out. Go buy their product. If you can't find them at your local grocery store, find it online. But Brandon Posh, we've had you on the show. You were, man, probably two years ago we've had you on. So time for, uh, a lot has happened since then, man. I'm trying to think that was 2021, right? So that was prior. With Robbie Bobby, right after Daytona. Was it right after Daytona? Was it, I think it was before Daytona. I don't think it was prior to, we'll get into some of that stuff, but I think it's prior to all the Daytona stuff. So It's been a minute. Cool, man. We got a lot to talk about. I, I've known you for a long, long fucking time. I've been around you since you were a kid. You just brought up a photo yesterday. It's me, you, Casey Tobolewski. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Okay. And uh, PJ Jacobson at a mini GP up in New York. So I've known you for a long, long time and watching you grow up <laughs> for me, man. Dude, so, yeah. Yeah. So let's get into some of this stuff. I don't, we might have covered some of this in your first interview, but I want to dip into it some more because we were talking yesterday, kind of getting involved in when you started racing, especially in like the road racing side of it, mini GP was just kind of starting. And it's really elevated now. You see so many mini cup series and New Jersey mini GP, South Florida, uh, Sandy Hook. Like there's so many now where back then there wasn't really much of that going on. So talk about your your journey into getting started in that and kind of like the mini GP scene back then. It, it was totally different than it is now. Yeah, no, uh, like you said, I was kind of honestly like the first wave of mini GP kids. Um, it was like me, Anthony Maziato, Xavier Zayat, Casey Tobluski, Isaiah Davis, and maybe like one or two other kids. But we were like the first group, I think around 2006 or so. I was like four or five years old and uh, just transitioned riding the little 50, the Honda 50 from uh, dirt at Englishtown onto street at NJMP and uh, Ryan Fleming. I think it was Ryan Fleming, Matt Fleming, Artie Meeker, and um, Anthony Maziato's dad all like started this little mini GP thing. Nobody knew much about it, and I just showed up one day, and um, yeah, it, it just wound up taking off because it was cheap, good fun, and uh, I wound up, I was good at it, but I think I was really good at it because there was not many people doing <laughs> it, so <laughs> I just thought I was good at it. Yeah, that's that gave me false hope too back then because I would show <laughs> up as a pro flat tracker and I would do these mini GPs and I would crush it, but back then nobody was doing it that frequently, and then the more I did it, I'd show up a year later, everybody was faster. I'd show up a year later, everybody was faster. Then you bastards were doing it every weekend. I'd show <laughs> up and I'm like, shit, this has got a lot harder, so... Yeah, it's it's crazy. To, so you really you didn't start off as a road race guy, really, because you know for kids to road race, it's gotten a lot easier now to transition. Like you see younger kids road racing, but back then there really wasn't 
there wasn't an option really to do it you know every weekend or feasibly to do it you were mainly a dirt guy right yeah i grew up like watching all the uh the outdoor nationals and stuff like watching ricky carmichael and those guys so like i wanted to race motocross but i just wasn't that good and uh we had like a little track at our house and stuff and i'd ride every single day and uh that was fully my goal was just go like pro moto but i sucked so there was no chance like i would <laughs> i would have made it to like i don't i don't even know but um but as, yeah I found, as you sit here with a broken back from riding motocross <laughs> yeah the, the moto vibes just aren't it for me apparently but um that was my goal was to go moto and um we wound up coming stumbling across um the mini gp thing and uh i think that came about just from uh all the all the guys that do like track days and like ccs like club racing they wanted to go and uh basically just get like cheap practice in in the winter time and stuff like that like away from the big track and I don't know who actually had the idea or if they saw it somewhere, but one of them decided to do it. And then it just slowly started building and building and building. And yeah, I switched right when it was like just starting and loved it. Cause I was not getting last. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also told me yesterday too, that you started off with, uh, cause we were riding with Cruz. My, my little guy Cruz is five and he just had his mini road racing debut <laughs> last weekend. And you said you had motocross pants with just knee knee pads, right? Dude, yeah, my first uh my first days was I had dirt dirt bike pants and boots and all that and then I just had like a I had some knee pads, like just pads strapped around the outside of my pants like to use as like knee sliders, I'm pretty sure. So, we didn't have like leathers or anything. Like nobody made kids gear back then, really. That's so, funny. um you you would see it, but it would be people like uh I think Xavier Zayat had like a lot of stuff coming from like Europe or from like bigger name riders because he was somehow connected right away where he had like some old like joe roberts leathers or something that wound up getting passed down to me and like it just it was very hard to find kids gear and i wound up just bumming gear off everybody i could yeah well like it started off the mini gp thing started to really you know you guys were doing more races every every weekend every you know it was starting to become a thing and yeah it's just um like some of the people who got you started you still like when I've met you as a young kid, you were probably seven, eight years old, probably. And when I met you, some of the people that were helping you, you still kind of like talk to and, and you're around a lot of those people. Like it's, it's kind of cool to see your transition all the way from, all the way from, you know, mini GP to Daytona 200 champion. You sort of have those same people helping you. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. It's such a, uh, a small group of people and not that many people are into racing or were into racing. So it's like, you got a small group of friends from the beginning. So you want to also like keep those relationships and still be friends with these people, right? Like, uh, it's a small community and, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends, even if they don't race, like you still wind up being friends with them after because uh, they have similar interests and you go and do stuff together. Anyways, I'm, my friends that don't race anymore, like Casey, he still comes to all the Moto America races that are like local and any race that I do mini GP, he still comes out and supports. So it's sick. Like we've had a small crew, my mom, Andy, and, uh, just a couple like family friends and we've just been tight and riding and, and it's been a pretty big journey, honestly. Yeah. Uh, with how we're going to bounce around on this pot a little bit, cause we're a little unprepared. We just kind of, we're, we're winging this. Yeah. We're, we're winging this for sure. But, uh, I wanted to talk about kind of where we're at now with like mini cup, Moto America, Ovalis. Um, it's just crazy. Dude, how, mind blowing. Mind blowing. How, how crazy, and serious it's gotten in a short time frame right because flat track and moto kids have been flat tracking or riding moto for forever since they were young 
and now it's it's just really really taken off um i'm obviously the moto america mini cup manager and i see the level of commitment from these parents and these ovales and how fast they are and how good how how insane everything's gotten so quick do you think uh like having all that now if you had it had it then like w- would it have changed anything do you think yeah i mean i feel like every rider is going to say this like dude if i had that back in my day like I- i'd be way better than i am like i i think that's the same even probably for you with like certain certain aspects of like dirt track like oh if i had those tires back then or if i had these brakes or whatever the case is you know like you're always going to look back and be like damn i could have done better but um yeah i mean like when i started it was like the closest thing to a mini road race bike was like a Polini pocket bike or something like that. And then I was on like the Honda fifties with just dirt tires, like a cruise road, like last week or whenever that was. Um, and then now they have, like you said, the Ovales and like a bunch of different Ovale ish kind of bikes, which is cool. Like it's more of a road race style bike now, which is yeah. pretty sick. Like back then I had like a, I think I had a Honda 50, then it was like 65 one fifties. And then I jumped onto like a Ninja two fifty on the big track. So there wasn't like, it wasn't much of a, like, it was a completely different riding style because I'm riding, like, mini supermoto bikes and then switching from that to a road race bike. So it was, like, two completely different things where now you're starting on a little road race bike and then you're transitioning up to just a bigger road race bike. So it's a similar style now. Yeah, and you've ridden the Ovali. You've uh, you've Dude, crashed, you've crashed one yeah. pretty good. <laughs> They're definitely a good training tool, but I not fully knocked myself out a couple weeks ago on one before I broke my back. So, um they're dangerous man they're fast they're uh the 190 is like equivalent to a 150r and they're and they're so small so yeah. they're like you got to be on your on your game riding one of those for sure <laughs> which is why it's good training because it's so easy to make a mistake but if you can be really smooth and fast on a little bike like that that's real twitchy and aggressive to ride you're going to yeah. be smooth on a 1000 or whatever you ride on a big track so I think too, uh, for the Ovales, you can put better tires on them than when you started road racing. It's a, they're DOT based, you yeah. know, the dirt bikes, pretty much everybody runs like DOT based tires, which they're not bad, but the lean angle, you can't, you can't match that as far as like a slick on, on those bikes. No. Yeah. Now we have like, uh, I run the Prelis on mine, but they also make like, there's a bunch of other brands, PMT, Dunlop, there's a bunch of other companies that make tires, but Dude, when I first started, we had like Shinkos or something, like some scooter tires from. Oh, Shinkos! From, yeah, man. Dude, like, I always refuse to run Shinkos just because they're called Shinkos. Yeah, I'm just like, no, I'm not yeah, running dude. a Shinko. So. We d- we have much better tires now, and it's sick because like, dude, on these little kids on the Ovalles are like almost dragging handlebar in some corners. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Like full lean angle, just looks like a little GP bike, which is pretty badass for sure. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm gonna bounce around here quite a bit, but. So you tra- you you grew up, you did the mini GP thing. You uh, I'm trying to think the timeline of your of your deal. Down the road you ended up going to Moto America and you won won the Junior Cup. It was called the KTM Cup back then, which was probably like the biggest moment for your career, I think. Kind of put you on the, the map. Time. Yeah, the for time. sure. I um so I kind of transitioned from like I don't know, maybe around like 2012. I went from like the 150R on the car track to like Ninja 250 on the big track and a Milwaukee as well, but there's no series for the Milwaukee here. So I, uh, like just progressed through like CCS, like club racing and stuff, uh, when I was like 13, 14. And then right at when I turned, I think 15 or maybe I was still 14, right around 14 or 15 years old, Moto America come out with the KTM 390 cup. We didn't think I was ready. So we waited, we didn't jump in the first season. We waited and, uh, M4, uh, John Ulrich actually wound up giving me an opportunity to do a wild card the first year of the series. 
out at uh, Utah, and I showed up, podium, my first race, and then they were like, all right, well, we'll get them another one before the end of the year. So I wound up, I did Utah and New Jersey, podiumed at both of them, and then wound up getting a ride for the year after. Um, was that... Um was that the first year they did mini, or KTM Cup? Yeah, the yeah. year you didn't, the year you did the wild cards. Yeah, I did two wild cards the very first year that they started the series. And who won that? Was it Gage? Uh, Gage McAllister. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. And Maziato got second, so obviously he didn't win it, so he stayed for the second year. And that that year that I wound up winning it in sixteen was me, Maziato, Ashton Yates. Um, man, there, there was a bunch of kids. I think like that's that's three. Yeah. Well, there, there was a, there was a lot of other guys too. I, I think like. Uh, Corey Ventura might have been in it. Ben Smith, like a bunch of kids that are now cool like go super, back super and, sport. Yeah, look at look at those names. It's kind of cool. Oh, I didn't know that. I forgot he was in it or so and so. So Yates is holding down the flag. Superbike guy. Yeah, it's the only one that's in Superbike so far. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of cool. I remember that year for you in KTM Cup because you and Maziato were you guys grew up together in New Jersey. You were really good friends, and then you guys were rivals for enemies for sure. <laughs> yeah, rivals for a championship. It's really hard to navigate going from friends to com- competing for national titles uh, as like for me as an adult, you know, and then it's even probably worse for kids and the parents probably don't help with it. Like the, that, you know, yeah, no, especially coming from the same area, you get uh, everybody fueling the fire kind of, because you'll get somebody that's friends with him kind of chatting and you're, you're saying, like, Oh yeah, this is not about Maz or whatever. And then he's probably getting the same thing, but about me. So it's, it's too, uh, two people that are were friends to start with but then you get everybody around you kind of talking shit so that's like making both of you not like each other it came to there was a point where like i'm pretty sure we might actually had like a fist fight that year honestly at, at you, a car track yeah fought? i think we might have we might have tussled a little bit uh at at a, a non-american uh motorcycle racing event um but yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that came to tears um for one or both of us i don't really remember too well but I, it was like a, a go-kart track thing, maybe a mini GP event. I ran him off the track on a, on a 150, but I had Stumpy there egging me on, and I had all these other guys like, do it, do it, do it. You won't. And I'm like, I'm T-boning Maz in like a mini guys GP are like thing. And we're, yeah, old. like little kids just like getting egged on by all these older guys. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was actually a fist fight, but we were definitely like Slap yelling fight. at each other and stuff. Yeah. Wrestled around a little bit. Yeah, it was funny. Looking I mean, back, it's funny. It's funny now because you guys are cool again, yeah. your friends and stuff. So obviously it, it worked out because that year you won the title and he got second again. So yeah, so yeah. he second and I mean yeah, he's, he probably wanted to. Well, I mean looking looking at it from his point, it's like well I got second in the first ever year of this championship. I'm coming back again. He's not done most of these tracks. Like he, he probably should have been the favorite, you know. And then yeah. he's probably got people telling him that in his head, like you're gonna win all this stuff. So. To get beat is probably it's also it's not a good feeling either. So no, it's it's not at all. I don't like getting beat. We know, yeah, we know <laughs> that. We know that is pretty well too. So you did the Junior Cup, or I keep calling it the Junior Cup, but you did KTM the Cup. KTM yeah. Cup. It's now the Junior Cup, which is a better name because it's there's multiple yeah, brands. Was there now. multiple brands? It wasn't. No, we were KTM. only KTM 390s. Everybody was on spec bike, which I thought was cool because then it comes down to more like rider skill level. It's kind of like, like a that, rookies so. cup sort of thing. Yeah, Red Bull rookies cup sort of deal, which yeah. is also on KTM spec bikes and like yeah, it's good because that really makes like 
rider's skill level come into play, not necessarily who can set their bike up the best, who can choose the right tire combo. You still had you know? your bikes that you brought the bikes, correct? Or did they bring the yeah, bikes? Yeah, we, we brought the bikes. Uh, well, I didn't, but the team did, yeah. That's so. what I mean. But, like, do you think it would have been – what are your thoughts on – because I'm pretty sure, like, the the Rookies Cup, don't they bring yeah, the bikes? Yeah, the, the Rookies Cup brings the bikes. I would have much rather it had been like that where like moto america had ktm drive a big rig to all the races with all the bikes in it and they just changed the bodywork bike to bike every race for me that would have been better because i do know that there's probably some people cheating yeah so you weren't cheating though no dude no. i'm clean bro no. <laughs> uh, but i do know like I've, I've heard stories about other people even from years after because i think they did it two more years after i had won it yeah i heard like people stiffening up the chassis and like all kinds of stuff oh, wow. i was like jesus like I, I wish it was everybody shows up and you just pick a number out of a hat and like, Ride okay, I'm bike. on bike number 10 this weekend, you know, yeah. like yeah. makes it fair. Everybody knows that like it's a random selection of the bike. Yeah. Nobody can cheat. It's just, it is what it is. Best rider wins. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure we shout out Bell Power Sports for supporting the podcast. They've been with us for a long time and it, they're a great product. I say it on every pod. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Uh, moving along here, you uh, went from KTM Cup, not Junior Cup. I caught myself there to... Uh, so that was big. I mean, well, you thought it was big at the time, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you won a Moto America Championship. That's 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 rad. I mean, it's uh, for for kids your age at the time. That's probably the level in America you want to be at is win that win that championship. And well, we did kind of see it with with Gage. He didn't really get a ride necessarily for winning the title for him. And then what did you know? You win your first championship, like big level championship what did that translate to Dude, you know what's crazy i was like all right i'm a moto america champion 15 years old i turned 16 next year i can race super sport i'm gonna be a factory guy for sure right like these paychecks are about to start flowing in i'm, I, I'm good i got this and uh i wound up getting a ride with m4 and that didn't uh unfortunately didn't last too long but i was factory guy for a little bit but uh didn't really last uh, i did three races that next year on the m4 bike and wound up parting ways with the team and um went over to Europe and then I kind of just bounced around all year in 2017. I think I raced in five different classes on seven different motorcycles that and year. Mainly BSB though, right? Yeah. The so I did series. uh BSB super stock 600, uh, BSB moto three, moto America, super sport, uh, junior world championship, moto three. And I, th- I want to say maybe I did something else that year too, but I kind of bounced around between like those couple of classes and stuff. And, uh, I did a couple more Moto America races at the end of the year on a Yamaha, just like privateer, me and TSC racing. Yeah. We wound up winning Daytona on a couple years later. How hard is it to bounce around on bike to bike, uh, especially, you know, you're going from a 600 to a Moto 3 to, yeah. I mean, now, I mean, you've ridden, you haven't really been consistently in a class for a long time. You've bounced around to different series, you know, you're going over and you're getting to know these these tracks in england you know you're coming back here and trying to learn the american tracks you're trying you don't really have a notebook you don't have you're you're don't have you're not getting as familiar with these tracks as the riders that are consistently like the british superbike guys they race at series every year all year you know like that's what they do every year um how hard is it to to kind of transition dude it's so tough like so you're going when i'm going over there going to bsb you're you're going to a country that's so small already and all these kids are racing like uh, basically their version of CCS before they go to BSB. So they're traveling to all these tracks. I mean, England's only what five hours from top to bottom. So every single track we race BSB, they're racing club racing on since 
12 years old like I was in America. So you're going over there, new team, new bike, new tires, dude you've never raced with before. You don't know what's going on. Like I'm flying over there at 16 years old by myself. Like I, I fully lived with a, a team owner that I didn't know at 16 years old for like three months, like in another country, didn't know anything. And I just lived over there and, um, dude, <laughs> it was wild, man. Like, I don't know. I, it, it's a big step. And like, it's also very easy to get down on yourself too. Like you travel over there thinking you're like the big dog and you're in 19th <laughs> in stock 600. Like it puts you in your place and kind of wakes you up, makes you work harder. And same thing, like when I went to Spain, I spent a lot of time in Spain that year, uh, racing the junior world championship. And, uh, dude, it was so sick. Like, I mean, there's 45 guys that are all really fast. Like, I think I, my first one, I qualified like 42nd and then I wound up finishing like 20, 22nd or something in the race. So like it was sick, but I was learning all the time. I was always playing catch up. Like I never could start on the same page as everybody else. It was just like, you're, you're behind the eight ball all weekend, just trying to figure it out. And that's, that's tough for a little kid, like trying to understand in your head, why am I always so far off? You know? Well, I think it's hard for anybody. Like for instance, for somebody like Cam Bobier to be like the big dog here for so long and make, make money, you know, he's making good money here in, a, in America. And then he goes over to Moto2 and he sort of struggles confidence wise. And then he comes back here, obviously this year and he he got a win at road atlanta which was huge but how like do you just have to know dude this is next level i mean even knowing that though it still probably messes with with the confidence but he was able to come back and just be naturally confident so yeah i mean i i kind of knew from a young age like just from being exposed to it like i knew okay these guys are no joke it's next level over here but cam's got a big sack for going over there after winning all those superbike championships and just like pretty much given up on what he's got here to go and like all right let's go against the best in the world like the best of the best in the world and I'm sure he knew it wasn't easy right like he's raced over there before he knows that it's it's not going to be uh all fun and games and he's just going to turn up and win but man I I think even Cam probably was like wow <laughs> these boys aren't playing like it's so close the times are so close the bikes are the same and they're on the limit dude from lap one first practice they're on the limit were you surprised that he won road Atlanta on the beamer yeah i was surprised like i i like cam i i believe cam is probably one of the best riders we have but i just thought it would take him some time you know like to adjust to the new bike and stuff like that but prove yeah. me wrong yeah <laughs> uh so you w- w- you talked about europe going overseas uh i've done podcasts with jake gagne and jd beach who they both are red bull moto gp rookie cup winners and they both have been vocal on the podcast about even though they've won that high-level series, it never translated over to them getting a ride overseas. Um, JD was very vocal about how political it is, and you know you don't see Americans over there. It, it's almost like they don't want Americans over there. Uh, you know that. What What are your thoughts on on that as far as young talent going over to you know, the world championship, because we don't see it anymore. I mean, we used to have quite a bit. Uh, we dominated over there for a long time, yeah. you know, obviously in the 70s or what have you. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a lot of it too has to do with the way that Americans look at racing and the way that, I mean, I'm not going to lie, a lot of American riders don't work as hard as the Europeans. Like, they just don't. They don't put in the work. They don't They don't go over there and do, like, what Joe and Sean and those guys are doing of, like, immersing themselves in the culture and, like, that 
a lot of guys don't do that. They don't want to put in the work to, to kind of make it happen. So some of them don't necessarily uh, deserve it or whatever, but I mean, you got to be in the right place at the right time too. There's not always an open door when you go over there. So um, it, it's tricky. I mean, it is political and, and everybody knows that, but if you know the game, you got to play the game. So figure it out. Yeah, and he mentioned too, like, you know, he felt just like they weren't getting the best bikes and riders that have gone over there, like, for instance, like when Heron went over and he was teammates with Zarco and trying to think of some other examples where they felt like they weren't they weren't getting kind of the equal equal deal as what the... Yeah, I mean, you could see that too from the outside. Like, sometimes you're like, man, like, I know this guy's talented. Why isn't he getting results? But also there's probably a lot of other factors too that even they probably don't take into consideration i mean like look at cam like he goes over there he doesn't have the track knowledge necessarily he's not like you know it, it takes time to learn all that stuff it's like when i went over as a little kid like you can't expect to turn up and just win your first year out you got to kind of eat some shit for a little while to like figure it out and i mean i don't know 2019 i won a british championship and didn't get a I had a ride the next year, but then COVID and stuff, but I didn't necessarily jump into like a world championship. Like I won a European championship and still didn't move up really. So yeah, not really any calls or anything. No, I mean, it, it was really tough. A lot of teams really, they're looking for money. So they're looking for a rider that can bring a good sponsor to the team. And like, I don't have that. I'm, yeah. Know. And we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of road race fans that listen to the podcast, which is cool. Definitely appreciate that. But we also have mostly flat track fans and, trying to explain the uh how rides work to flat track fans or even moto fans or anything like that it's a whole different dynamic than what flat track or moto people are used to and in road racing you most of the riders are paying for their rides so you don't just get hired you have to bring money to the table some of the rides I've heard, you know, here uh, maybe a decade ago. I don't know what it is now. Maybe you can give us some info, but it's like a million dollars for like a good ride. Um, I, I don't know if that number is a, if that's high or what, but and I don't know if at what level that stops. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't think Gagne is paying for his attack ride. I think he's probably earned the right to yeah not yeah pay he's definitely he's it. making money for sure right. But it's like guys are either they're either paying for the ride or they're getting paid. There's really yeah, there's no, not much in between. There's no middle ground no. where, you know, guys are, uh, there's guys that are just making decent money. You either make good money or you don't make shit. So talk about that, man. Uh, yeah. That's a loaded question, but it's big and it's something that a lot of people are curious on. No, hundred percent. And that's a kind of a tricky one because that number is going to vary for everybody. But as like a rough estimate, like when I, I was racing Moto threes in Europe and stuff, and we were trying to go world championship. And a lot of the times you got to go through the junior world championship, which costs you about, I don't know if you're a good rider and you want to get on a decent team, it's about a hundred grand a year, hundred grand, 200,000 euros a year in what, the junior world championship. And what is that? What kind of, so, what can you make back on that? Uh, junior world championship, you're pretty much making nothing. Like you're not getting any return on your money. Like there's no, nothing comes back from that unless you get results and you wind up getting a free world championship ride because you just won the championship. That's what you're kind of hoping for. There's no for. purse money. You're not. There's not. I mean, as as far as I remember, I don't. I don't think there was much purse money. Maybe it was like fifteen hundred bucks to win. Like it. It wasn't like, oh yeah, if I spend two hundred thousand dollars, I'm gonna make my money back. It was like, if I win every single race of the year, maybe I'll make like twenty grand. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like you're not making much back. Um, I know Moto America. A lot of the, a lot of the Supersport kids are paying one hundred fifty grand a year now to race in Supersport. Like. 
It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's I just crazy. don't understand uh, the economics behind it. As a as a dollar and cent guy, yeah. I'm a promoter. I'm a business guy. I, I'm always looking at the business side of the sport. I just don't. I mean, you're gambling on yourself. You're gambling on yourself. You're gambling right. on yourself for that MotoGP ride or whatever level. Whatever. I mean, how many guys do you think in Moto America are actually making money? I mean, how many guys aren't paying for their ride? I mean, I could give you a, probably a pretty short list of who I would assume isn't paying or who's making money. I mean, you, you look at Superbike, you probably got Gagne, Peterson, Heron, Skoltz, PJ, Bob, Bobier. Um, dude, after that, there's probably nobody really making money in Superbike. And then you got Supersport, you got Forez. That's probably it. That's not paying for a ride in Supersport. <laughs> the rest of them are either maybe if they're lucky a free ride or they're paying like maybe i don't know Uh, it's hard to speak on on those guys because i don't really know but i would just assume from an outsider looking in like if i was looking to get one of those rides like they're probably most of them are paying i would think and is there like options where they split purse too or is everybody yeah dude you know what's crazy so some people are paying for the ride and they still have to split the purse money like yeah. you pay for your ride and you don't even get to keep all the purse money. That's crazy. It just makes it seem like uh, you got to have some sort of back end funding to do that because realistically, when you're paying for your ride, it's not like you can really bring your own sponsors over, correct? It's uh, like it say somebody gives you a hundred grand for that ride. Will a team give them uh, real estate on the bike? Yeah. So like, I mean, um, previous teams that I've rode for, if I were to bring say a sponsor for a hundred grand. I could get a spot on the bike for a logo. I can do my helmet however I want. I could do like maybe. But 100 a, grand, no cheaper. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it, it's very, uh, they're very, it, it's weird, man. Like they're super like nitpicky too. They're like, well, if it's 10 grand a race, it's this big of a logo. Five grand this big. It's like, come on, like everybody's struggling to get the money anyways to, to go racing. So it's like, you got to kind of try and help everybody out, I feel like. But yeah. I mean, so. for you too, you come from a humble family. It's not like your parents have, you know, loaded bank accounts. And for you trying to make it work, trying, like, I'm sure there's a lot of riders who, who vice versa too, who they're, they have a lot of money and they would just pay for good rides. I mean, I think you can see yeah. that the guys that are on the good teams and they're not really putting up results. Yeah. Uh, but you also see the kids that usually come from a lot of money, don't have the heart. So they get hurt and then they're kind of fizzled out. Yeah. We're like, yeah, I mean. The I mean, kids that don't have it kind of have to grind for it so that they want it more and, and you don't give up, you know? Is it frustrating for somebody like you who has, you know, you have the accolades, you have the talent. Have you been picked over rides for somebody that just offered more money? Dude, yeah. It's happened to me a couple times in my career where it's like I'll either be just coming off a championship and then I wind up losing the ride to somebody who's spending 100 grand, 120 grand, and I'm like, like, what can you do? You know, you can't do anything about it, so you might as well just try and find another route. Yeah. She can't give up, dude. Like, I... Yeah, I've lost some pretty good rides just because of lack of funding and then come back and, and on a smaller team won some big races. So yeah. it's, that's kind of the best way to, like, retaliate, I guess, to just go get results. And th- then they can't tell you no. Like, they can't turn you down if you're winning races. So I want to shout out Dunlop for supporting the podcast. 19-inch, 17-inch flat track tires. They have off-road, street tires. They do so much for the industry. They have amateur elite teams where they sponsor riders. They sponsor events. If you can, check out their website, DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. I'm running all th- through all these sponsors from my head. I don't want to like have to hold my phone up and uh, and check them all. But, yeah, so that's uh, it's that part of the sport is really interesting to me, and I'm starting to learn it more and more. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy just hearing that. And, 
it's like, man, how do they, how do they make money then? I mean, if, if you gamble on yourself year after year after year, you know, eventually you're going to be 30 years old and you have a very small window to actually like make money. And you have no money saved up already, you know, like you have nothing in your bank account. So now, okay, I'm 30 and I just got a free ride. Yeah. Now it's all right. Let's go capitalize, make that bonus money and see, see where we're at by 35. Uh, transition to Daytona. That's obviously been something that you're really well known for right now. You're a two-time Daytona 200 winner. And I go back to, uh, we'll come back to what, what I was going to get at, but come, go back to the first year you did the D- Daytona 200. You, we were training quite a bit that year and you were real confident. You're confident, confident guy. We'll talk about that a little bit as well, but you're very confident. You're like, Hey, I, I want to win this thing. I'm like, fuck, you never even wrote it. Like, <laughs> how are you going to win the, the, one of the biggest races of the year in the world? I mean, it's a big race and you were what? 18. How old were you when you first did uh, 200? 16. You were 16 when you did I that was first still, uh, So it was 2018 was my first one, but my birthday is right after the race. So I would have turned 17 just after the race. So, yeah, I was still 16. And yeah. your first one was, uh, I'm trying to think that result. You were you were in the it hunt. Was, it was me and Bobby Fong. I was right behind Bobby Fong with four or five laps to go, and it got red flagged. Right. And uh, they restarted it, and I think Wyman wound up winning it, um, and I finished fifth. Yeah. But I almost won it. Like, I, I probably would have won it. You looking, had a shot, really good I had shot. A, yeah. Like, looking back on how I won the other two, I had a good shot. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think when you won. So you didn't win. So, so you, then the next year was COVID, I think. 19 was not COVID. Did you do your first one in 18 or 19? I thought oh, it was maybe, 19. Okay, 19. 19, 19 was yeah. your first one. So I would have turned 18, so I was, I don't know. I'm not good how, at math. Dude. Yeah. It's just crazy. <laughs> Everyone, like. I was 17. The timeline on life, like, for me initially, it was, like, like uh 2010 my dad died so it's like prior to my dad or after my dad passing away and now it's like covid is the, the new yeah. timeline it's like that was before covid or this was after covid so yeah so if it was 2019 i would have turned 18 after the race so i was 17 okay so 19 was so 20 21 20 was covid 21 was the first one so 21 is when you won your first daytona 200 uh at 19 years old 19 are you the youngest to win it uh, the youngest ever on the asphalt, second youngest all time. That's sick. Second and third youngest. <laughs> yeah. Cause cool. I won it the next year and I was still 20. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people forget. I forget too. How, how young you are. You just turned 22 like last Dude, month. Right? Yeah. I've been around for a while for how little I am, like for how young I am. I'm not oh, really little, yeah, but tall shit now that happened quick too, man. You're always like smaller than me. And then a couple months later you showed up, you were like a foot taller. Than I me. left, uh, left the C-Tex homeschool and came back like a year later after high school. And you were like, who's this guy? I do want to talk about that. That's an interesting <laughs> story as well, but let's keep on this Daytona 200. Won the first one. Super awesome. Uh, we were pumped. We were racing over Evolution. and you had a cheering section. That was uh super cool. Dude, I came over after that race. So stoked. Oh yeah. We had, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> t- I got a picture of us in the, in the pits. No, I mean, yeah, you just won the Daytona 200. It's a uh, I- most iconic road race in America of all time. Yeah, and you won it. Uh, what was that like emotionally? Um, and did you make any money? I mean, for we're talking about money and finances, like winning the Daytona 200, you would think that's a, a really good payday. But how was that structured? I mean, did you have to pay for that ride? Did yeah. You, I so mean, I had spent a good chunk of change paying for my ride to do it. So. Um, I mean, if you were being technical about it, I didn't really make any money, 
but I, I mean, it's 25 grand to win the race. So like, it was nice to get a check for 25 grand, but no, I didn't necessarily make money on it. Um, I wound up rolling that money into my season anyways, spending it on my actual ride. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good payday for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I mean no, yeah, I didn't really make any money. <laughs> I got a Rolex though. I got a Rolex. Yeah. This is actually, I'm wearing the one right now. First one. This, this is the first one. Um, yeah, this one's special. I probably won't get rid of that one. I've been riding pit bikes in it for a while now. <laughs> so you win the first one. We're kind of, we're just going to fast forward to the next year. You won your second one. You won yeah. two Daytona 200s, back which back. that one was probably better uh, in terms of how it felt because it was actually back to Moto America. Yeah. Moto America picked it back up, which was, it's awesome that it's back to a little bit more prestigious yep. then because there was always excuses and maybe you've heard it your first one too. Oh, it's just a glorified club race. It's just... You know, but you had every year there was good guys doing yeah, it. Yeah, man. I mean, like the first one that I won, I won it. And it's still like, I was stoked, obviously. Like I just won the 200, but people were like, oh, well, it was only racing Sean or there was only this guy in there, or that guy. It's not the best guys in the world. You know, like everybody was kind of not shitting on me, but they weren't like, everybody wasn't stoked for me. I felt like, so the next year when it was like, you got factory Ducati, you got attack Yamaha shows up with Superbike champ. Like, yeah dude, there's legit guys now. And, and that was the one where I was like, all right, like I'm going to win this and just like show everybody like, dude, I'm legit. And I won it and, and nobody could say anything after and that. And you won it on two different brands too. You won on the Yami and then you yeah. won it on the Triumph. Yep. I was a little skeptical. You go into the Triumph. I didn't know yeah, how I, it would uh, work out. I mean, I was pretty confident in my decision to be fair, just because of like that year previous. So I won it on the Yamaha and then I went to British Supersport on the Triumph with the Dynavolt Triumph. So it was like the factory team. So I rode the Triumph all year. Then I wound up getting the chance to ride the Triumph at Daytona. So I knew what it was going to be like, and I kind of, I knew, like, the thing's going to sing around Daytona. Well, and you rode uh, for TOBC, who yep. they've won multiple, Yeah, multiple. to me, it was, like, TOBC's won, I think, like, four. And and Danny was my teammate, who's also, he's won four championships Slick. at Daytona. And then there's Slick. me. I was coming off of a championship. So, like, it made sense where it was, like, there's a lot of championships around this team, and people involved have all been involved in, like, other teams that have won championships. So it was like just a big like mix of people that have won the race a bunch of different times with different riders. And we just came together and like, how you know. was, uh, being teammates with slick dude. He's sick. Were I, you, I love him. were you a little intimidated when you knew he was your teammate? Nah, dude, he's like, he's like my, uh, my spirit animal. Like I, I can't act like him at all. Like I, and I don't, but I, I, I'm not hating on it. I love it. I think it's funny. Did you guys did dude, you he's celebrate? Great. Did you go out and uh, get to hang I out with him? Did you, Take dude, in the whole uh, S-Lick Daytona experience. Dude, I don't think I went out with him, but he did call me like three months later at like 3 a.m. And he was like, bro, I just want to tell you how much I love you, man. Thanks for holding it down for the team. And then he was like, all right, I got to go back inside. I'll talk to you later. And he just hung up. <laughs> it's a random 3 <laughs> Dude, it was random. It was like a couple months after the race, too. He's like a dying breed, man, with uh, just old school races. Dude, it's sick. Like, I show up to the track like 8 a.m. This dude's outside of his little white van drinking a Dr. Pepper, smoking a cigarette before practice. I'm like, <laughs> unreal, dude. Can I have your autograph? This yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, racing's gotten very serious. The training and the diet and especially road racers too. I've noticed road racers, they're, they're more big on the diet. And uh, honestly, in Moto America, a lot of the guys, I don't feel train as hard as they could. No. You have like a few guys at the top. We talked about this, like Gagne and Cam and 
uh, Fonger trains hard and uh, Skoltsy. And there's guys that train hard, but you also have a lot of guys that I would think they would train hard in the position they're in. I'm like, hey, you know, what do you do for training? They're like, oh, uh, you know, be honest. I'm like, really? Why why are flat trackers training harder than the road racers right now? But because you see guys over in MotoGP and – they're fit, dude. Everybody pretty all much. In good shape. Alish, you know, he's like a world. Even Miller, dude. I feel like Miller's kind of a sleeper when it comes to fitness. I trained with him for a couple months, and he is fit, dude. Yeah. The dude's an animal. Yeah, and it just, I don't know. Like, you, I bring it back to when you said earlier, like, a lot of the Americans, they don't they don't put the work in. They just sort of. when I lived in England those two years, like, racing Moto3, when I wound up winning that championship, like, I'm telling you, there's days I would wake up, no breakfast sometimes no lunch and i would eat it like a salad for dinner like i was fully starving myself because i knew like i was six foot six foot one on a little 250 cc single so like the weight matters over there so for that class like i was doing what i thought was the right thing but i, I wound up making myself really sick dude but like i just wanted to win i didn't care so i would starve myself like for weeks yeah and like just well, keep my weight down i'm gonna bounce around a little bit on that too uh i think you're better suited for big bikes uh body structure at least i mean you grew up riding Moto three ish bikes. You grew up riding, you know, Milwaukee's and bikes that require a lot of corner speed, a lot of momentum, pack racing sort of things that you've excelled yeah. in. You've won KTM Cup, so your mind is kind of fit for that level of racing. But your body, you're you're a tall, lanky mofo, and you, uh, you know, when you moved up to stock one thousand last year, it's like, oh, dude, he's gonna crush it because he's it's better suited for his like build his body structure uh but you sort of struggled a little bit with that with that bike i know you had some injuries you were fighting through uh but you didn't gel with the thousand as well as i thought and what do you attribute to that do you attribute lack of track time do you attribute uh you know you never really rode rode those bikes much. yeah no and what's I mean, the difference in riding style obviously it's way different everybody's got excuses right but like i've I did, like you said, I hurt myself right before the start of the year, like bad. Like I scared myself pretty bad. Like second day ever on the bike, knocked myself out, dislocated my shoulder and stuff. And, um, that it was just a long, a long time for me to come back from that concussion. And it really like, dude, I, I wasn't there mentally for like most of the year last year. Like I was just out of it. And you could start to see in my results, like I, I like a, a switch flipped almost. And I went from like being barely a top five guy to like, it was podium, 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 podium every weekend. Like once I figured it out and my head was back, I was on the box, but yeah, man, like that injury at the beginning of the year really set me back. Um, and that kind of caused the injury is what caused me to not have as much track time before the first race. So then I was just behind the eight ball, just trying to play catch up and, uh, we didn't do any testing either. So that didn't help. But, uh, like I said, everybody's got an excuse and I, I thought my style would fit a little bit better to the big bike, but it just took me a little bit to learn, man. Like I, uh, had shaky burn. My manager came over and he was kind of like pointing some stuff out. We were looking at data together and he was telling me like, dude, you got to do this, do that. And like, as soon as he started speaking to me, it made sense. And I kind of like changed my style like then and there, like that day. And from the one session he watched to the next one, I was a second and a half faster, I think. Or something. Where was that at? Laguna. So like, was it a test or you just... It was a race. So it was he a race. was there while you were yeah, racing? Yeah, okay. he came over because, uh, like, our whole plan the whole time was, like, get him over to one of the first rounds of the year so we could, like, do that. Yeah. But schedule things. Like, he's commentating for World Superbike, British Superbike. He manages Brad Ray as well. So, like, he's kind of all over the place. And, like, it's difficult for him to come over. So he gets over, explains to me how to ride the bike, and I'm like... What right. is it? More point and Light shoot, bulb. right? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Way more point and shoot. And, like, which... 
I knew that. Like people be telling me that all the time. They're like, yeah, dude, just point and shoot, make it a triangle. I'm like, I know great. it, and I don't. What does that mean? Like, so. all right, that's great. Yeah, make it a triangle. Point and shoot, great. But how how do you do that? Like nobody tells you how to do it. They're just like, yeah, just do it. Like yeah. point and shoot. So my dumb ass is out there trying to just roll through the corners and get the thing stood up. And now I'm like running off the track on the exits and like yeah, almost high side my brains out, like killing my tire. And uh, like I'm so focused on the like need to crack the throttle here. Like I need to, I need to get back on the gas, but it's like, do you want a 1000? The thing makes like a hundred something horsepower and you like, you're going fast on the straight. You don't need to be cracking the throttle as early as possible. It's when you do crack the throttle, can you go to wide open? Like, do they spin a lot off the corners? Those thousands? I mean, they look fun to ride. I've never ridden a super bike. I actually think my background as a dirt tracker, I think I would ride a super bike better than, um, like a junior cup bike. I think, not saying I would do better. The competition's way, way better. But I think, I think a lot of flat track is point and shooting. You, yeah. you pitch it in, you turn it, you drive the other direction. And I think, I think that would be cool. To, like for me to road race, I would, yep. I think I would like that. Well, another thing that kind of almost set me back was I was trying to like I ride supermoto a lot, so I'm always like sideways on corner entry. And I try to do that with the Suzuki, and it doesn't like it. Like it does not want to slide on corner entry. And I love being loose, dude. Like, I love just throwing the thing sideways and just, like, just fully sideways, like, into the corner. Dude, I love it. But uh, I was trying to do that for so long on the big bike, and it just wasn't working. So, I mean, yes and no. It's similar to flat track in a way where, like, on the exits, yeah, like, you stand the thing up, and it might spin, but you're on the meat of the tire. So, just you kind of ride the back brake off the corner a bit, like, on on the super bike. But it's fun. It's just it is a different style. And I thought, like, coming from the supermoto, like, sliding the thing around, I'm I'm comfortable with the bike a little bit sideways. So I just assumed that it would mesh. But it's it's tricky, man. Like, you got you to gotta also know what works best for the Suzuki or the Yamaha or whatever you're riding. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get into some more spicy things here. We, we, we get down and dirty on the pod. Before Love we it. do that, I want to shout out Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing, supporting what we do. They've been with us for a, a couple years now. They keep us rolling. Check out their line of motorcycles, and they're crushing it in all the different racing series. I'm bummed about Tomac, though, man. He slices Achilles. Unlucky. Golly, that was a bummer. But, yeah, they're crushing it, obviously, across the board. So shout out to Yamaha. I want to talk about kind of your rivalries over the years. We talked about the Maziato one. That one was kind of – that was like child's play, kind of. It wasn't really that big of a deal. You didn't really have – that I know of any major rivalries, specific ones overseas, I guess. But uh, there's a big one with Josh Heron. Um, you know, if the fans see it, it's been vocal on social media. You, you guys both are, I'm gonna say, similar in your demeanors. Uh, you guys both have big social followings, and you guys both talk a lot of shit. And that rivalry you guys you've you've rode together you've been in his compound yep. but you know the rivalry it started to go you know a little sour <laughs> leading up to daytona and and things like that so what are your thoughts on your your rival your rivalry rivalry with josh because that's a good one dude yeah him in particular like I, I have a lot of respect for the guy to be fair like he's good on a bike obviously otherwise he wouldn't be in the position he's in but uh i do like to call him out when i think he's being an idiot so it kind of goes both ways. Like I, I call him out and then at the same time this year he beats me and I, I still go up to him, shake his hand, tell him good job. You know what I mean? Like good sportsmanship. But at the same time, I, I like to get people engaged, get people uh, fired up about the race. Like I see him doing something stupid. I'm going to say he's doing something stupid. I mean, that's just how I am in general. It could be 
even you, I, I like to mess with you, but not as much like publicly and we're not racing each other. So it's not like, it's not like that, but, um, that's just kind of my personality in general. I like to mess with people and get people riled up. So I mean, Josh is, is just an easy target. Is there a hate or I mean, Dude, I don't hate the guy. I actually don't hate the guy, but everybody thinks that I do. I think he thinks that I hate him, but I, I don't hate him. I mean, I brought him a case of beer after the one race. I know he likes cores. So I brought him a case of cores and he was cool for a while until I started getting him, uh, antagonized before Daytona 200 this year again. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just can't handle the heat, dude. He's not a, he, he likes to talk, but he can't handle it when somebody talks about him. Dude, he's, he's blocked me on social media too. So he's probably not even going to see this, but yeah, I just think it's funny, man. I like messing with him and he gets, uh, offended real easy. So it's good for me. I like Josh. I've known him for a while and, uh, he follows me. So maybe he'll see it when <laughs> I, when I post it. I've been trying to get him on the pod, but he's, He's one of like two people who uh, they just haven't reached back about coming on. So hopefully we'll get him on at some point. I can. Ask yeah. Him. No. Like I said, I do like the guy, and and I told him I like I even told him good job after the race. But like, he's just so easy to mess with, dude. Like he he gets in his own head. I feel like too, and like I just poke him, and then he just like poking the bear, dude. <laughs> you seem to poke a lot of people. Like yeah. uh, you're a conf- you're a confident guy. You're you're you know. There's been moments where I've been. I'm like, hey man, maybe you should chill. Maybe you like, I'm trying. I, you know, I, I don't mentor you too much anymore. You kind of do your own thing. But there's been times where I'm like, hey man, maybe you should like chill. You know, focus on the riding and things like that. But you know, you, it's been kind of your mo and and you know, a little Conor McGregor ish. I, I don't want to throw Dude, that. But even but. even with you, like I, sometimes I mess with you too hard and you get a little like salty with me. Sometimes hey, you're like, dude, <laughs> stop, like stop, stop fucking with me. And I'm like, come on, you know, I'm just messing with you, but like. I don't think you realize sometimes that you're actually being a dick. You think it's playful and stuff. Yeah. And that's like people that they don't know you personally. They'll see what you yeah. post on social. Oh, that guy's an asshole. Like people know that I'm close to you and, and they're like, man, I can't believe you, you hang with posh. He's such a dick. I'm like, dude, he's really not anything like he is on social. When I see you on social, I'm like doing the emoji with my hand over <laughs> my face head. Bump. I'm like, come <laughs> on, bro. And but, uh, you know, you just got to know, know how, how you are and, and stuff. And it, it's honestly meant to be playful, but people it, just take it wrong for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you're getting better as you get older, like prodding people. Um, I've calmed down a lot too. Like I obviously like as a young guy, you're winning a bunch of races, like you're going to be cocky in general, but I would just be the dummy to post about it and like talk shit to people. So, well, road racers too. And I don't mean to t- you know, hammer the road race community, you know, but they, they don't really do anything about it. So they're not going to fight you in the pits and they're not really on the track. You guys don't really bump into each other. It's not really safe to do. You see a little bit of, if it's like a slow corner and you're like, you're making a real tight, like inside pass, like that's one thing, you know, but we're going 180 miles an hour, like with like barriers and shit everywhere. Like you don't, you got to have respect for the people you're racing against. So even me talking shit to Heron, it's like, I'll talk shit to you, but I'm not like, I'm not going to run into not you. Gonna like, cut him I'm off, not going to do yeah. what he did to Escalante. That's yeah. not me. Like yeah. I'm not going to T-bone somebody. So well, I'll, I'll talk shit, but I'm not going to like, yeah, you know, like that's just not me. I mean, if you did that to some dirt guys, if you did that to Supergross, a flat track guy, <laughs> you did that to Briar or Jared Meese, they're going to put you in the grandstands off turn four. And then you guys are good. Like, you know, it is what it is. But in road racing, you see a lot of, see a lot of talk but you don't see much there's, there's no bite there's some barking but there ain't no bite it's not like what it used to be no. when scott russell dude and but i love it were... like if i'm gonna talk shit and you're gonna talk shit back like let's race hard like be clean but let's let's be uh let's be aggressive dude like i'm here for it yeah give me a little a little nudge here and there i'm gonna give it right back so 
I love that kind of race. And that's how it is in Europe. Like those kids don't mess around. Like they'll T-bone you, dude. They'll just straight clean you out. Like first lap of the MotoGP race I did, I got people running in the side of my bike. Like 30th place. Dude. Yeah. I was like, listen, like I'm back here with you squids at the back of this GP. Like, why are you running into me, dude? Like we're not even getting points. It's cutthroat, man. It's, uh, I've done pods with Cam or, uh, Cambobier and Joe Roberts. And they said, the intensity doesn't change from first to no, 30th. not at all, dude. They're slicing each other in half. And, 100%. And that's something I'm friends with with, with, with Rispoli, and he's raced in uh, in uh, England, and he says that series is so cutthroat. It could be 30 degrees, raining, and people are just sending it. And, you know, it really kind of it changes your outlook on how you race when you yeah. come back here because of how, how cutthroat it dude, is. Dude, I came back after racing in BSB, and I did, like, a couple club races. I'm pretty sure I slammed a few people at, like, a CCS race, dude fights in the pits there's people coming over yelling at me i have work on monday i'm like shouldn't be racing then dude <laughs> I, I was such an ass bro i always but hated that it, it gets so ingrained in my head that like you got to be aggressive like racing in europe you got to be aggressive so i would just bring it back to like a club race i'm racing like a bunch of amateur guys like just being way too aggressive and people getting pissed that uh narrative you hear from people yeah, I'd go faster, but I got to go to work on Monday. It's just That's like Corey a, now. <laughs> an excuse for being slow. Hey, I could use that, I guess. I didn't even, I haven't pulled that out of my excuse bag yet, but that's, that's a good one. Uh, I did want to talk about your, you mentioned it earlier, but your homeschooling journey was, uh, was interesting. I think it's funny that, uh, I was essentially, I forget how it was, Daddy but, text. <laughs> but you were in Jersey and there wasn't a viable homeschooling yeah program in new jersey <clears throat> so you use my my pa address and i was essentially your guardian for your homeschooling through high school which is all fine and dandy except for the fact <laughs> you never fucking did any work and <laughs> when you're supposed to log in for school you just wouldn't log in you wouldn't do your work and it wouldn't bother me too much like if you're gonna be an idiot fine just whatever just drop out you know work at taco yeah. bell but it uh they would call me like <laughs> constantly the teachers would call me and I'd get warning notes cause you weren't showing up. You were tardy, having tardiness. It's like, I know he's a tard, but <laughs> I'd get these tardy notes and I'm like, dude, listen, dude, bad. you would stay with me for a long period of time. And yeah, we've had quite the journey, but the, the homeschooling thing, but you ended up, uh, you dropped out of that program. I dude, think, right? Yeah. So I, I went to actual high school for about like a month maybe or two months. I don't know. And, <laughs> I had already missed enough days racing that they were like, yeah, you're going to have to retake the grade. So I was like, all right, well, I'm dropping out. Because I, I was just going to keep retaking freshman year. Like, That's dumb. I'm not doing that. So I dropped out. And my mom was like, you got to do something. You got to go to school. And uh, in Jersey, I think it costs like, it was like kind of expensive to do online school or whatever, homeschool. So we found the school in PA and you were nice enough to let me do it. And uh, yeah, I, I wound up, instead of doing my work at home, I would just go ride because I could. So... I would just go outside and go ride. I wasn't interested in school at all. And, uh, yeah, that only lasted for, I don't know, we did that, what, probably a year and a half maybe? Yeah. Something like that. And then I dropped maybe, out of yeah. that. And uh, the next year I wound up, I got hurt pretty bad. I broke broke my wrist, shattered my growth plate and stuff in my wrist. So I was out for a while, went and got my GED, and still graduated high school before everybody I started it with. So it was great. Worked out just Worked fine. out in the end, yeah. dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun, interesting. Good times. Good Daddy time. Tex, uh, in the, in that span of time, he showed me uh, like uh, Main Street, Daytona. Oh yeah. He showed me uh, showed me a lot of stuff, dude. That's uh, <laughs> so the school you went to is actually the same school that Shayna and uh, graduated from, Cyber School and Brandon Robinson and 
uh, Evan Renshaw, the kid I help out, he I just got him into that. that oh boy! School. So hopefully he does. <laughs> hopefully he doesn't go my route with it. Nah, because he was down. He lives in Florida with me, and we I train him, and he's going pro next year. And he was getting in trouble for not doing his work, but he does. He was doing online schooling for his public school, and like you have to log in at a certain time. And I think that's stupid. I th- I just like the idea of doing your schoolwork when you when you can. I, yeah. I don't think you should have to log in. Well, as long as you get it done, it shouldn't yeah, make a difference, get it right? Done. Like, yeah. Just do the work. Yeah, and school is crazy these days. I I'm remember so- the one time, like, I-, I was down there. I drove with you from here all the way to Daytona. I was going to do some amateur stuff on the 450. It was, like, amateur. I don't I don't know if it's not a national, I don't it's think. Like Daytona but like, Bike Week. Yeah, whatever their, their yeah. series thing was, and... We get down there. You were like, yeah, 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 I'm going to coach you. You're going to ride my 450, whatever. I had it ready. And I didn't do my schoolwork. And it was like the day before the race or like the day of the race. You're like, yeah, you're not riding. You didn't do your schoolwork. I was so mad. Dude. I was harder on you. Than I was upset. Probably Bonnie, your mom, man. I'm like, yeah, yeah he's not riding. He's pissing me off not doing his work. So <laughs> yeah, didn't get my work done, didn't get to race. So I wound up hanging out and uh, I don't even, I don't know what we did, dude. I, I didn't ride. I know, I know, you know that. Ride. I yeah. know that. Uh, that's why I haven't won the throwdown yet because you wouldn't let me ride back then, dude. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and you sh- you show up every year for winter throwdown, which is my my event, but it's also the biggest amateur flat track race in the country by far. I mean, it's it's ab- absolutely stacked with kids, and I think the one the first year you did it, you were real confident. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna dust these kids. I, yeah, dude, you watch. thought you were, and it's <laughs> you didn't even make the main. <laughs> I still haven't made a main, dude. Still haven't made one at throwdown. Can you make the 250 main? Last year? Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe I did, yeah. actually. But you didn't make an open-am main. No. Open-am and no. 450 amateur mains at Throwdown, there's 50 kids, and they take 12. I've also crashed my brains out both the times I tried to make that main, yeah. I think, so. Yeah, you're... Uh, Not a good track record for me. We, I asked yesterday, are you are you done? Are you retired from Throwdown? Are you going to try Dude, take a stab at it? What's if, honestly, I need to just... I need to get on a good bike. Get on a good bike and a good team. What did you ride last year? Last year, I rode... Uh, oh, the KTM. Yeah, Miller, yeah, 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 yeah. I rode Delaney's KTM. Yeah. Not a not a bad bike, but I I need to I need to get around somebody that can like, like you. I need you to be my rider coach, dude. Like I don't little, know what's going on. A little busy that weekend. We're like, oh, Chad, Chad, let me massage your back, dude. <laughs> Chad's on his own, dude. For that, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, shit, Chad he didn't even make one of the main events. Dude, Max Whale didn't make. K- it's factory, tough, man. Factory KTM rider the first year, and he didn't make one of the mains. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's it's no joke, but it's a good event, right? We'll plug it. Yeah, no, winter throwdown every January, baby. Let's go. I was talking to Jackson Blackman about it and he he came 2 years ago and he did it and he's like, "Dude, I don't ever flat track and I come to the biggest one of the year." He's like, <laughs> "Cuz I was like, you going to come back and do it." He's like, "I'm just not good enough to do it." <laughs> like, Dude, you need to do a road racer class. Do like do do some like only only people that aren't like not necessarily maybe a road race class, but like JD everybody win. that's not a flat track guy. Like, JD would win. Dude, he's... Dallas. <laughs> nah. Nah, they don't count. Like like goons, like me, Ashton, Jackson. Well, Ashton's a pro. Hunter Dunham. Ashton's made a pro. Hunter Dunham. <laughs> he's, he wasn't very fast. Uh, but Glotty, like Glotty hasn't road race or flat tracked. And Didn't he? He almost won one dude, of the he was, mains, right? he was hanging with Renshaw, who is phenomenal. Uh, Glotty, I think he got second and fourth. I mean, he rode good. Not bad. Yeah. No, I was... Dude, uh, he's not. He's like kind of iffy on a ride right now. Dude, but you also stick me in the worst heat races possible. I don't stick shit, dude. dude I, the first year I had like Chase Sadoff and like a couple other kids that are like killing it now. It's random. It's karma. Dude, you nah, should, it, shouldn't talk that's shit. That's Corey's like, oh, he thinks he's going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I actually didn't. It was just random. <laughs> I found it funny afterward, but yeah, kids like uh, Glotty, he's kind of struggling finding a road race ride right now. I'm like, dude, you're a really good flat tracker. If you like put some time in and train, you could probably make some money flat tracking because uh, the singles class in flat track, there's there's like four big teams that offer salary rides. It's like if you're on the fence about it and you're you know you, you don't have those resources to be on the pavement. Um, that singles class in dirt isn't a bad option, but then you go from singles to twins and you're kind of fucked because there's not really any twin, any teams uh, that it's, it's a mess too on the, on the flat track side of it. But, uh, there's a bunch of stuff, other stuff here, jump around on here. We got some more time. Um, social media, man, you've, you're, you're big on social media. You, you, big supermoto guy you you have a lot of growth and engagement on your channels you're they're growing consistently uh talk about for those watching the young kids uh the importance of social media and kind of how you balance also like something i want to ask you about because i don't know if you how you manage it if you do managing cool videos versus putting the laps in so you go to the supermoto track is it always, and maybe there's riders that are like that, where they're just focused on content, they're not even putting their laps in to be a pro racer. So I think a lot of the influencers, they lose focus on, and maybe Josh Heron is, you know, I don't know what his deal is too, like on that aspect, but then there's guys like Jared Meese, there's guys like Hayes, who don't really care as much about social media, right. they care about the just work, winning. the yeah. work and the winning. So how is that balance of going there and getting your content, but also putting in your laps, putting in your motos and, you know, focusing on your winning versus focusing on content because sponsors nowadays, it's a fine line for what they want. They either want the content or they want the results and you almost see more sponsors. that want the content. Yep. So no, I, uh, I have a very different way. I feel like of looking at it than everybody else. And like, I love being at the track all the time, whether I'm riding around on shit tires or good tires or what, I don't care what I'm riding. I just want to be there. So I show up and it's whatever my work is that I have scheduled for that day. That work gets done before any video is taken, before any, Ian doesn't even look at the track until I'm like, all right, my work's done. Like I got, I got my laps in, I got my motos in. We can screw around now and go ride and have fun. Unless we're going to the track to have fun and just not not train, you know, cause I do that too. Like I go to the track to just have fun. Like it's not always serious, but I have my schedule and I show up, I get my work in and when my work's done, then it's, it's playtime. And we're like, ah, oh, well this was cool. Like let's film this or let's film that. And like, but the work gets done first. And I hardly ever post any videos about the work that I'm actually doing. And it, it leaves everybody sitting there like this kid doesn't work hard. He's just riding. He's just having fun, just goofing off all the time. But nobody actually sees like the actual work that I put in. And I kind of like that as far as like from a, a competitor standpoint, because you get people like, uh, that don't necessarily know what I'm doing and they just think that I'm goofing off. So they underestimate me. Like they show up and they're like, Oh, this kid's not for real. Like he just goes and rides and goofs off. But I put the work in first and then I, then I come out and, uh, and just play and film and do whatever. Like, but there's a time and a place for it. So, um, I do do both. It's just, you gotta have your own plan, your own schedule and, it's all about what you want to show on your social media too. Like if you want to be the Alicia Spargo and show that all you do is work, go that route. But I'm not yeah. that guy. Like I, I like to have fun and show that I'm having fun. So I do, yeah. I do both. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You mentioned what you want to show on social media. And I think a lot of people, like when I was racing, they knew I trained. Um, and I would post, 
I post like a bicycle-ish photo once every week and a half. And they're like, man, all you do is post about your workouts. I'm like, dude, if I posted them, I'd post them every day. Like I'm, I, yeah. I don't think people know the, the, how much some of these guys actually do. Uh, even guys like Briar and Meese and, um, you know, there's guys that, you know, Meese likes to joke around about eating donuts and Briar. They play it off like they're not in yeah. shape. It's um, a grind though. Like yeah, these guys don't show what they're doing, yeah. including me, but it's a grind, dude. It's six days a week. You're working hard and you maybe get one rest day if you're not at the track riding. So yeah. it's not easy, dude. And it, like you said, if you show what you're doing, working out every day, it's like that, that's all your feet is. It's just workout, 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 ride, 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 workout, yeah. ride, workout, ride. So it's, we get it. You yeah, work like, out. Yeah. You just, I just like to show it. Cause it's just like my passion. It turned into something that I actually enjoy. Like I, I'm retired, quote unquote, and I still I still ride a lot. I still train a lot. I, I feel better than I did. I mean, I feel better every year I get older. So, yeah, it's just something it's but you also you play the game a little bit. You you know, you don't want to show people what you're doing. But as far as the platforms go, uh, social media, what do you which one do you like the best? Which one do you like the worst? Dude, honestly, um, I wish that I was better at YouTube because I think it's sick. Like. If you go to like, uh, dude, any any kind of like event that you go to, somebody's always talking about like, oh, did you see this guy's YouTube video? Did you see that guy's YouTube video? Like the people that watch those videos actually care about what's going on, you know? Like it's more engaged with like the fan. They search they, it. Yeah, they, they have to look it up and they feel like they're part of your crew or whatever. So like to me, that's, that's the one where I'm like, man, like I, I want to be good at that. So far, I, I haven't necessarily been the best at it, but like I want to get good at that just because I think it's more like a one-to-one feel like with the people that you're... Uh, I think there's by, more uh, financial gain from YouTube yeah, as well. For it's, sure. it's the best platform to make money if you're crushing it. Definitely. And it's a lot of work though. It's like, hard. Instagram it's hard. Reels and Facebook, it's so easy. You just like it's little clips, you know. And yep. YouTube, especially if you're doing like what the Deegans do in their vlogs, dude, it's and a lot of work. It's if uh, you're doing it yourself, it's it's impossible. it's almost impossible because yeah. I've tried and uh, like this weekend mini cup, I wanted to vlog the whole weekend. It's my first yeah. mini cup manager. It's Cruz's first race. I have some sporadic videos from like the first day yep. and then I'm halfway through the second day. No, I'm like, I didn't fuck, I didn't video yep. anything. So you almost need to pay a guy to come, pay a guy to edit. And then the return, you don't see it like right away. No, it takes So a it's long like, time. man, is this worth it? Like I've put in some money to, to show the vlogs, but you don't get like the fans. I'm like, do they appreciate this? Cause like, Dude, I don't feel like they do. I'm three years deep. And I'm still like, we're still, we're not struggling for growth. Like we're growing and it, it's showing that we're growing, but it's like, dude, you, you're not making money until you're like hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah. Like that realistically you're, and even then you're still, you're on the smaller side for YouTube and like, dude, I have, so if I wanted to do it myself, you wake up, you, you're, let's just say you're in the gym for two hours, you go cycling for two, three hours you go moto track if you if that's what you're going to do for the day that's a couple hours you're trying to film all this stuff and like you're you're busy dude and yeah. then you got to edit it which doesn't it's not like oh i just put the clips together it's that takes time yeah like dude everything takes time and you don't have enough time in the day so then you hire somebody like my man billy but then if you don't have a sponsor or something or some sort of income to pay for it pay then for you're it. just like spending all your money on video <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's a it's a tough cycle to like get into it and actually make it make sense yeah but if you can do it like like me and billy we're just really good friends and same with ian so we kind of do it on a very small budget and it's just yeah. like let's grow this together like let's do this as a team and when we do start making money from it like 
we're in this together, you know? Like, yeah, and it's crazy, like, the video people and photograph- photographers that I've worked with, it's like, I feel like I do them a solid, like, uh, you know, help me, I'll help you. Like, I, I'm obviously in the industry, and I, I help with jobs and things like that. It's like, I'll do it, I'll get them in, and then I'll, like, hey, you know, oh, yeah, this, it's three grand or something. Like, what? Like, dude, I got, you know I mean? Like, you throw them a bone, and yep. it's, it's just that, you know, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And working with people like that, it definitely, definitely goes a long way to have relationships with them. Because otherwise, yeah. it's almost impossible, especially at our at our scale. Like yeah. Deegan's, they can obviously afford. Right. You know, I, I don't. They probably spend millions on on their content, but we're not we're not quite there. No. Yet. Yeah. No. Like for me, it's like we're just friends, and we're like we want to see each other each other's like platforms and companies grow. Like yeah. For example, like Billy, like now he's he's working with a bunch of different riders and different series and like all kinds of different stuff. And like same with Ian and obviously my socials are growing and stuff like that too. So like it's good for all of us and we just help each other as much as we can. And that's kind of the cycle that we, we can all afford and, and stuff like that. So Do you ever get into social media arguments? How many have you been in? Where are the good ones located? Dude, Facebook, right? I used to. I used to big time. Um, honestly, a lot of them with Heron and Heron supporters, I, I just can't help myself. I just, like, just poke, poke, poke. But I've calmed down a lot, dude. Like, I, I'm honestly, like, most of my comments now are super, like, either constructive or just supportive of whoever it is. You know, like, I, I'm i trying to not be such a dick on social media, but it's so hard. You're bro. not Robbie Bobby. No, nah, dude, I love Robbie Bobby's <laughs> comments, bro. He's always got me cracking up. Dude, it's up. a full-time job, though. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I, I like... Literally all throughout the day. So, like... You see it on Facebook, all the flat track groups. He is always dude. It's crazy doing his long ass things and, and then, Instagram too. And then I see on his personal page, it's racing, and I see political stuff that he writes out full paragraphs with strangers. I don't know how he does it. And then I find out about this. There's the Weira forum. I didn't know the fucking dude. Weira forum existed. <laughs> I go on the Weira forum, which is forums are so 1990s. Yep. Like no one does forums anymore. I didn't think. I go on the Weira forum. And like the list of, I, I just, I was bored. I just checked how many, cause I saw his name. I was like, how many posts does he have? He's like top five posts ever on, on, it's like, yeah, I, like, I don't get I it. I used to be super like, anytime I would see something that would not like, wouldn't sit like perfect with me. I'd, I'd be like, comment, comment, Everything. comment. But like, dude, I don't have time. Like I want to go yeah. train and I want to hang out with my girl. I want to hang out with my dogs. Like I want to do other stuff. And like, yeah. I'm not on my phone a lot anymore, honestly. Like even social media posting wise, like I've slowed down a lot. I'm just kind of doing my own thing, living in the moment, like enjoying my friends and family and stuff. And like yeah. trying to be a, an actual human again, instead of just like texting. On on, yeah. yeah. When I was racing, I, I really didn't argue as much or get into it. I, I just, I think when you're younger too, and maybe this is part of your problem now and why people give you a hard time when you're younger and you're vocal about things that you come off as like bratty or you're a dick or, or cocky, but the veterans who speak up, the fans, they like it. It's like charming where you have guys who, you know, um, cause for me, I noticed when I was younger and I would speak up on things, I'd get hammered for Dude, it. Yeah. They hate you more. And it's like, Oh, here's this little rich kid just talking shit about yeah. something on Instagram. It's like, no, I or just form my own or opinion. He's cry baby yeah. or whatever. But now, um, when I shout opinions out, I'll get a bunch of interactions and likes, and I don't do it for that. I don't fucking care. But um, I also just get frisky. I'm sitting at home bored. I'll have a beer or two. I'm retired now, and I'm just, ah, you know what? Fuck it. I'll call this guy out because a lot of the fans, when they post things, they are so certain yeah. that that's correct, and I'm just like. 
you're wrong because they don't expect. Uh, it was funny on one of the forum. Uh, it was a forum. It's uh, and they were uh, talking about Shayna with something and it completely wrong. But they were certain, and they sh- for sure didn't think her brother Corey Texter <laughs> would get on and correct them. And I corrected him and just hammered him, and it felt felt pretty. pretty it is good, interesting but. though too. Like now you have crews and like obviously you're married and stuff. So like uh, I feel like a lot of people also see that the outside of your career, like you're more like your life and they have more respect for you as a person. Cause they know you're more of an adult and not just some kid riding a dirt bike. And I think it's honestly, this might sound weird, but it's similar for me too. Like now I'm like with Darian and stuff and people like treat me different. Like they act like I'm more of an adult. I feel like. Yeah. Now. And it's that's weird. a bad stigma too. I mean, that's not really fair. Cause there's a, you know, uh, like my buddy Chad, he gets a lot of shit for going out and partying, hanging out with chicks and, he's a really good guy. Like he means well, he's one of the, he, like he's has a warm heart. Like he's a nice guy and people always want to hammer him and talk shit on him. And he just does his own thing. He doesn't affect yeah. anybody. He doesn't shit talk anybody. And people just always have something to say about, about that stigma. It's like, worry about your own shit. Cause yeah. nobody's perfect. No, I'm Chad's far from sick. perfect. And yeah. And then that stigma just, it, it bothers people. Well, they think he's not professional because he doesn't have like a Who girl cares? with him. And he's cares? not like, yeah, dude, it's just, it's weird how people look at like, they look at him like a hooligan because he's not like taking life seriously or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why people look at it like that. But Speaking of hooligans, I want to shout out Indian Motorcycle. They, they support our podcast. They big supporters of super hooligan racing and the bagger king of baggers. They're, they're going at it this year. Uh, they won the championship last year with Tyler O'Hara really cool motorcycles. If you can find a local de- dealership and, and go test ride a bike, snag some merchandise and support those who support the, uh, the industry uh i got two more for you these are getting a little deeper on you dude i'll be looking at my notes uh it's i can't read writing. your handwriting bro. well <laughs> typically i try to do my notes on like digital but i have the old written written notes here uh i want to talk about the risks in racing uh and this is a topic that it, it hits close to home for me uh i've lost friends in the sport um it's been it's been hard to navigate that in my life and my career and you know you've been around the sport a long time as well and for the fans that are watching the podcast we we like to keep it fun here but it's racing is very serious and there's a lot that goes into it that the fans in the comfort of their of their chair at home watching or in the grandstands they don't have to uh be on that side of the risks in racing and you obviously had a, a tragedy, Darian's dad. He he was in an accident last year and he passed away. And we've had friends pass away, Ryan Varnes and some road racers. And talk about how how you navigate that with everything that happened, and you know how you manage that because you came back after that tragedy and you uh, you had a really good weekend there and you had a really strong finish to the year. It takes a really special mental strength to kind of uh manage all of that and still go out and and be a racer so yeah i mean i think uh i've always liked to kind of think of myself as like really strong mentally you know i try to not let a lot of stuff bother me but dude it's hard especially the older i get the more you like you think about it and you're like man like this is dangerous and you see it happening around you and stuff and you're like that person's never gonna like be there again you know so um we've had a lot of friends uh recently that obviously it passed so dude it's hard yeah yeah it's it's tough to talk about and it's tough to kind of to to think about but being there for each other i think is key and 
and just uh i think there's more to racing like sort of the uh the arguments and the fighting and the rough riding and at the end of the day you're kind of everybody's kind of there for each other and yeah no for sure like we can talk shit to each other and stuff and like for me like i think that's why i'm not super uh like dude if somebody comes and says like oh you're a dickhead and like wants to start some shit like racing wise like i don't i'm not gonna take you out like that's just not it's not cool you know because like we know the risks like even before i won my first daytona like lloyd passed away and he's like kind of how i got into ra- like got a sponsor for racing and like dude it's it's scary like it can happen like that so yeah yeah and i i think you know for me in my career and for racers watching uh you know i've i've done some podcasts on my anxieties and things like that and you uh it, it can always there's things that can always happen but you can always manage risk and i think that's a stigma that people don't feel like you can manage risk yeah. and i think you're never racing is is dangerous right uh but i think there's ways you can manage risk if you're in situations where you don't feel it's you know you just don't feel comfortable you can always let off you can check yeah. up you can pull off the no, track. we spoke about this last night yeah like when we were just sitting at the, <laughs> at the bar we were like yeah yeah like you were saying like you haven't had as many injuries as a lot of other people just due to like managing risk and i was like I also yeah. think I have less wins because I yeah. managed risk. Some people are willing to take the chance all the time, and some you know some riders aren't willing to. And I was never willing to push that extra percentage, where it's just not that important, you know. And even some instances last year for me in like a championship, I feel like there were a couple of racetracks that if I just just pushed past that risk limit, I might have won a third championship. And at the end of the day, I have absolutely no regrets at all because you just you manage that and. Do you feel similar? Because in road racing too, especially the Moto Three and uh, those type of classes that you've excelled in and you, you've raced in, there's been some some there's some dangerous some tragedies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and why is that? Do you think so much in those classes with the pack racing and things? Is there anything that well, can, that can be done? It's tough because like it's really good racing. Like it's sick to watch. Like I mean, you watch Moto Three and you're like you're excited. You're on the edge of your seat the whole time. But dude, if somebody falls at the front of that group, like this has happened multiple times like a couple nowhere people go. You, yeah you either you have nowhere to go and you ride into them or two people get around them and the third guy has no time to react because it's like one guy crashes this guy goes this way next guy goes the other way and then you're just right down the center like that's happened a, a couple times in america like not recently knock on wood thankfully but it has happened and and it's what's the answer like is there anything because i was thinking too like what can we do and do we make the grid size well, smaller? Do we? The I mean, thing is, like they're they're trying to do it with the FIM right now. They're saying that it uh, kids are too young, but that's got nothing to do with it because you're gonna have okay instead of having uh, kids in the world championship that are 16, 17, 18 years old racing that close. Now they're just those 16, 17 year olds are now just gonna race in the junior world championship. So they're <laughs> on the same bikes, in the same category, yeah. at the same tracks, just not in MotoGP. So. To me, that makes no sense, and that's not going to really help much of anything. Like, maybe it'll calm... I think their thinking is, like, well, they're more mature riders, so they're going to be a little bit more respectful, but I'm telling you, these European kids do not give a fuck, bro. Like, they don't care. They're still going to run into each other, especially Moto3. Like, the bikes only go so fast. Like, well, the pack's they, tight, they, so... They, they, some of those kids just, they have to make it. Like, yeah, as much as... Cho- yeah. We are talking about finances earlier. How much you invest, you're investing 100 grand in the you ride. You have to win you have to you have to take those chances where if you're if it's for if you're not spending that kind of money it's not you know you don't have to go out there and and manage risk and i, I mean we have really good safety features now that yeah. we didn't have 20 years ago airbags air fence great great helmets um the world championship is 
usually is the best spot for it where they have very nicely like manicured gravel traps and like airbags. Top of the line like doctors the, and right. medical crew right there. And, you know, it's. But at the same time, look at Polis Bargro this year. It's like he messed himself up pretty good at, at the Portugal race. Like, I, I don't think he's still even. I think he might still be in the hospital, dude. Like, wow. And that's like MotoGP, MotoGP, like. That doesn't happen very often. Like, you don't get a dude in the top of the top class that actually gets injured that badly that often. Yeah. And it, But it is a reality check. It's like, okay, well, clearly it can still happen, you know, whether or not, like, it's, it's uh, yeah, dude, there's, there. some, there's some kid, like, yelling in the hallway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it is a, it's a real thing. And, and that's even in the, the series that they take safety the most serious out of yeah. anywhere else. And they... They have all these new things that they're trying to make it extra safe, and it still can happen. Like you don't think the grids could be smaller? Like I know, and obviously in flat track, we what I thought was a big move and a good move was we went to four riders per row, and a lot of fans they're still like negative toward that because we used to have six. But I think going to four riders per row helped a lot. It kind of spaced spaced everything spaced everything out a little bit more it, granted the pack racing it won't be as exciting right but i mean safety over it still be, be exciting but i mean let we want we want safety that's yeah be the number no one i mean so moto gp when i did moto three it was uh i, I want to say 32 riders on the grid which is a big grid i mean it's not that but big. it's not yeah, it's not yeah. Or, I guess and i mean yeah. you got to think too they go to tracks like silverstone which is i don't know the tracks gotta be like four miles long Something like that. So it's like maybe dude, the have two massive. waves of them. Maybe yeah. not full wave. I don't know. I don't know answer. what you could do. Yeah, but it is uh, definitely something that they could think about. Is like, well, can we run twenty eight guys instead of 30, 32 or thirty four? Like, well, it's can, the same can, thing in the Supercross know. now. There's so many guys that have gotten hurt this year. There's only two factory riders out there to finish out the year. But you also got to think too. So they're going to cut the grids down. But now, okay, well the fast guys that are in the pack are still going to be there whether it's 15 yeah. guys or 18 guys or 20 guys those guys are all going to be in the same group like, yeah well know, it's not a performance like in supercross they've been talking about it being the bikes are too fast or the track's too dangerous in road racing the it's bikes really the, aren't any faster it's the kids mentalities <laughs> yeah that's I all mean, that's different is people that are very aggressive and you're getting you're getting kids from all over the world you got spanish kids italians like south african kids like everybody wants to win they're coming from all different corners of the world of course they're gonna go wide open 100 percent. like maybe it's culture maybe it's, it's a lot of them to... don't care dude like they, they'll crash themselves and somebody else to win the race they don't care so if you can change their mindset <laughs> maybe but maybe that's something we need know. to look at the culture of uh the training and yeah. things like that but i'm obviously i'm but they've upped the penalties as well in gp so now like there's guys getting penalties just for passing too close and it's like all right well we need we need to like I've seen easy that. on that yeah, like i've seen that an aggressive pass is is reasonable like i i think that's just part of racing now if you're making contact with somebody like and it's clearly on purpose like in my opinion heron on escalante at daytona that penalty should be a lot harsher than somebody like just passing closely that that like runs both of them off the track that's different than like getting t-boned and and being put on the ground you know that's a penalty whereas the other one where you're just running off the track it could be a mistake or whatever you get sucked in in the draft it's really easy to make a mistake it dude we're doing 180 miles an hour like it's it's easy yeah. to you come in a mile an hour faster and you miss your brake marker like dude yeah. it's so easy to make a little mistake so yeah man it's a lot to lot to discuss we could probably talk about that aspect that's a whole separate for field, a while yeah. uh and it's something, you know, like like we said, the air fences and the airbag suits and the helmets. And there's a lot of really cool safety features out there that I didn't, like, when when I turned pro, 
I don't I don't know when the air fences came into play in flat track, but holy shit, dude, we used to have hay bales and guardrails. Like we just didn't fucking have air fences. And dude, and those guys were savages back in the day. They were. <laughs> they bare, some of them didn't wear gloves. I mean, they're just psychos. And it's uh, looking back at old videos and pictures. It gives me the freaking willies. Just like, and I go to a local race now because obviously air fences are expensive and yeah. and cart tracks and stuff. They don't have air fences. I mean, it's uh, I I, I get kind of like skitterish when i go into a facility that's a half mile and there's not any uh, air fence it's it, you get spoiled a little bit yeah. and, and me wearing airbag suits because airbag suits are expensive and thankfully alpine stars they still support me in like my my career and things i'm still doing where i can get get a good suit but i'll never ride without an airbag suit ever again dude like so you've been to bushnell right like i haven't oh so bushnell local car track that's where i ride it all the time in florida we have this like bridge section where it's like an over under and, and you, you like endo through yeah it, I, I like it. like i'm doing stoppies down this bridge staring at a tire wall from fifth gear on a 450 down to second and you're like doing a stoppie dude if you have brake fade you're going right into that tire wall and the other side of that tire wall is a drainage drainage ditch over that is a straightaway people going fourth gear this way and you're coming this way so like i've been there i've seen people like T-bone the tire wall from losing brakes. I've seen like, uh, Tyler dude, Scott high side. Tyler Scott launched himself, that probably landed in the drainage ditch. <laughs> dude, yeah, uh, like that shit's scary, man, because like a little head shake over that bridge and you lose your, your brake, brake pads. pads. Yeah, 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 and like you're going right into a tire barrier or into somebody else, you know, like. Yeah. yeah you don't I, think about it when you're doing it, but. I don't know what the answer is for a cart track. Yeah, I you mean, can't. like can't buy air fence. No, because also the air fence, like with us dummies, like plowing into it every couple laps well they repair it and fix it yeah Yeah, first time they plow through it it'd be fucking ruined so yeah um i want to shout out uh jerry stinchfield from roof systems that's my that's my guy he's been keeping this podcast going for a long time and does so much for this for the sport he has nearly 40 years of experience in the commercial industrial roofing uh, business if you can if you need a roof jerry's your guy cruise's title sponsor it's cruise yeah cruise title (laughs) sponsor uh big uh dude he's got he's got four mini uh four moto america podiums now cruise i don't know how many you have dude i don't know he might have more uh, than you by the end of the year dude he probably could <laughs> <laughs> it's uh he's uh he got on the podium there was not a lot of kids but he rode pretty good for his first time but there was uh really good actually but he got uh like podium hats and flat track getting on a flat track professional podium is it's fucking hard it's not easy it's very hard uh some people never even get close really good riders and I've worked my ass off to get to the point where I was getting podiums and wins and you get the cool Dunlop podium hats. And I have like, I have a, I have a good amount, but I save all my hats. I, I treasure them. And little bastard got four <laughs> in one weekend at five years old. And he got an ad in cycle news, mission foods did an ad has a picture of him and, in cycle news. And he's just so naive to, it's like, dude, when I got my first ad in cycle news, I, my win ad, I blew it up and it's on my wall. You saw in my yep. bedroom. So it's uh yeah it's kids are naive to this stuff Cruz but, is like can i get ice cream <laughs> yeah 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 he's just whatever but final question i wanted to ask for you you're young you're 22 you're a racer we know you're a racer your, your results are there you have two-time daytona 200 champ british uh 300 moto three moto three champ junior cup ktm cup champ uh you have really good results you're young you just turned 22 where do you see the rest of your career going? That's a loaded question. And more so, what do you see yourself doing after you're done being a racer? What do you want to do in the sport? Like for me specifically, I would love to be just a rider coach. 
or a manager, but it does not, it's not really feasible financially. Right. That's what I would love to do. Um, I do a lot of random things now just because I need to pay the bills. Right. But what do you want to do and what do you see yourself doing down the road? Well, my plan this year was to come out and uh, snatch that stock thousand title because I know I can. And uh, if I didn't get hurt, we would have a good shot. So it was win that, jump into Superbike here, work my way through, hopefully eventually win a Superbike title here, then <laughs> head to World Superbike. That's what I want to do. I've always wanted to race in World Championship. Like, that's just a I'm, – I'm driven to do that. Like, that's all I want to do is race in World Championship at some point. So World um, Superbike or MotoGP? I don't like, care. I want to be against the best in whatever it is, whether it's Superbikes, GP. I don't care. I want to be against the best. So I want to get to a point where I'm able to do that. That's my career goal is get in a World Championship and obviously fight for a World Championship. I don't want to just take part. I want to go there and do well. So um, – get myself to a point where I can do that, me and Shaky, my manager, and let's go, let's make our way to the world championship. And then after that, like, I, dude, I want to set up like my own training facility, kind of like for ro like road race, supermoto, like mini kind of thing. Like nobody's ever really done that. Just buy Bush now. Buy dude, something. Buy if I had a couple million in the bank, that I'd already own that place. I would just live there in the little silo they have on the, <laughs> I would just live there, ride every day. But um, yeah, I'd like to, uh, to kind of like, get my own little compound set up and like train kids and stuff and like help people out, help the next gen and kind of build our sport. Cause nobody's really doing it, dude. Like there's a, a few organizations helping out here and there, but there's no like dude in Europe, all these kids from like four years old are going to these training compounds, like supercross kids here where they're over there training, learning how to tuck the front and save it at like four years old. It's like, dude, I don't even know how to do that. I'm 22. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's not been uh, tapped into yet in America to, like, to help progress the next generation of road racers. So I'd like to at least help in that in that in some aspect. And like also get into more like filming stuff too, like supermoto movies and stuff like that that we've been filming. Like I just think it's sick. I don't really care if anybody watches it. I just like I have fun. And like for me and my friends, like we go on these road trips and just film it. And like we'll make a video about it. And like five years later, we look back at it and we're like, dude, we were so dumb. But we think it's funny. It's like keeping the memories for us, you know? Yeah. No, your content's good. It's fun to watch. Uh, anyone out there, definitely search him up, Brandon Posh. Uh, what place do you think I would get if I rode in the Twins Cup? Depends how much we uh, we like ride beforehand. Like if if you were like coming to me and let's I'll, say I have a good bike, like I I, I it's like one of the best bikes. You have a good bike. We yeah. train for a few weeks before. I could see you breaking a top 10 for sure. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, what about the 200? Cause that's kind of my bucket list. Um, I, my dad raced a 200 a couple of times. He did pretty well. I think he got, I think he got borderline top 10 with like 80 riders. My yeah, dad was, not bad. yeah, he did real. My dad was a good road racer. Um, sleeper kind of, they know him as a flat track guy, but he was a good road racer. And that's kind of, you know, my, my bucket list, uh, not bucket list, but I thought it'd be cool. Cause I rode Daytona on the Harley, but it'd be fucking cool to ride. Dude, if you gave us one year, and we just went like all right one year of like obviously we're not gonna ride every day right but like we did did a couple weekends here there for one year i could see you doing like top 20 maybe 15 top 15 200. would be cool not top, i could see you getting like a point couldn't get one what's, point. what's 15th point yeah i could see you get a point i think i'm gonna win though right dude <laughs> if it rains and they decide that they're gonna in race the in the rain, rain, rain maybe uh, yeah, I'd, be, I'd be scared probably uh yeah yeah well maybe we'll Maybe we'll work on that. We'll Chuck, get it dialed, dude. been talking with Chuck about maybe doing a Twins Cup race down the road because I've ridden the Yamaha, that motor, a lot. So. Dude, Robbie Bobby came out, did one Twins Cup race and won. He so won. I know you we, better step your shit up if you're going to show like, up. 
Robbie, ten, you'll ten never hear the end ago, of it, bro. We, still, we, we don't. We still hear the end of it. <laughs> uh, he was good, though, that day. He did pretty good. Dude. I think they're quite a bit faster now, he said. Yeah, like so the lap time's time. a lot faster, and all the bikes are a lot faster as well. Yeah. So, I just want to race Robbie Bobby. I think I think we need a 1v1. Yeah, we'll have to do some training. and C-Tex versus Robbie Bobby. Not Barbara, though, because that's this track. Yeah, no, we'll go... Uh, Jennings or... Something, yeah, some, something, something where you guys both don't have a whole bunch of laps. Should we do Road America? Because I'm we like do Road America. way smaller than him. And he or New Jersey. Me. I think Thunderbolt. Cool. Okay. I've never, is that the other one? What's the That's one? That's the one Moto America races, Thunderbolt. I've never rode the other one. I've only rode Thunderbolt once, so to be fair. Yeah, that'll be sweet. Cool. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you. This was cool. Your your van is uh, getting towed back to Jersey, and you're getting picked up. And Facts. it was cool to do a pod. I've been wanting to do a video pod for a long time, and you stopped in for a couple hours. It turned into a couple days. <laughs> uh, hopefully, the fans enjoy the video pod. This is a lot of extra work to do these video pods. You're the second one we've done, and if you guys enjoy them, give us some feedback. Tell yeah. us you like them. You're welcome. Because I kind of motivated Corey today. I was like, yo you need to start doing video pods and he wasn't about it but then we i, I talked him into it and we did this for the fans dude. i like them but it for is, the culture it's a lot of extra work you got to come into the studio our guy logan he got to record and edit and yeah it's a lot of a lot of extra work but it's fun hope you guys enjoyed it subscribe on soundcloud itunes spotify youtube we got the youtube going a little bit we're going to keep pushing that uh, a lot more pods to come and uh maybe we'll see posh down the road doing his own podcast Dude, let's get it going. Be a good one. All right, man. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll chat you soon.